All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, college football podcast brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. Wickedly delicious. They sponsor us each and every week. Very thankful to them. Go pick up a jar of pickles. Wickles Pickles, as big as your head. All right, so a lot continues to happen in college football. That's what we're going to do today. We'll go through some portal stuff, a little bit of signing day, and then some of the other games that we need to preview that we haven't gotten to just yet. Um, have not seen another SEC matchup. I'm recording this on the 23rd, so Missouri going to play today. We'll review that in our next pod next week, and we'll go back through some of the games we're going to preview today. So we'll go Music City Bowl, Sugar Bowl, and then we'll do some playoff games today quickly. Uh, before we do that, I want to run through the portal, just like a couple of big happenings in the portal and signing day. Uh, I'm not a recruiting expert. I, I don't know everything there is to know about four-star, five-star, but I do know that Alabama put together the number one class again. And it's completely insane that so many com- people continue to say Nick Saban is done. He's not going to be able to continue recruiting this way. NIL is going to ruin him. The portal is going to ruin him. Listen, you look at, at what Alabama lost in the portal And you'd be a little bit concerned about it. I think in the bowl game preview, we'll talk about some of the concerns there. I don't know if it's overly individual based as much as it is collectively based on you lost four or five offensive linemen. You lost three, four receivers. They could have contributed. They could have given you reps. You get an injury or two. All of a sudden that could come. That could be a real issue. Offensive line is going to be an issue for Bama in this game. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but Number one class, again, Bama's got a safety coming in that can play right away, a tackle coming in that can play right away. Um, it's it's what Nick Saban's been doing, and he does it again. Kirby Smart, number two class overall. Um, I think the lack of drama shows you just how consistently Kirby is recruiting. There wasn't a lot of signing day flips. There weren't a lot of guys they were waiting on. They pretty much had that thing wrapped up. And you wrap up the number two class behind only Alabama, who was almost putting together a historical class as far as what they did and what they put together. It's pretty impressive, no matter how you spin it. So Georgia solid um, and a couple other teams that I think may be a little bit worrisome and then maybe better than we thought. Hugh Freeze and his staff at Auburn come in. A couple things that I like. Number one, the emphasis that they place on the offensive line. You go get the number one Juco tackle available. You go find a couple other guys to be able to get signed. I didn't realize Jason Caldwell told me on uh, McElroy and Kublik in the morning on Jocks in Birmingham, Auburn had not signed a class that included three high school offensive linemen since 2017. Like what in the Sam hell is happening if that's the case? And you wonder why the depth's not there. You wonder why there's not enough guys to compete and you wonder why there's not enough guys to be able to come in and push other players when maybe they're not performing well. There's your answer. Pretty simple math. I had not realized that until Jason told me that uh, and just completely nuts that that's the case and how things have gone out. But Hugh pushes it into a top 20 class. You flip a corner from Ohio State, you flip an edge rusher from Florida State. So Pretty impressive what they were able to do in a very short period of time. And he's got some guys that will be able to come in and help transform that roster, potentially help them next year. Still waiting on a quarterback. Uh, we'll talk Devin Leary, who does not go to Auburn here in a second. He ends up at Kentucky. Uh, Grayson McCall still out there, but academics, a little bit of an issue there. See how that plays out. Don't know how quickly that can get maybe repaired, smoothed out, or done. Uh, but I know that they're they're going to try to find another quarterback, and they'll be more available, especially after spring practice when some of the starters are announced. There'll be another wave of portal players and quarterbacks then. Uh, I thought Shane Beamer, South Carolina, had a really nice day. Uh, they made some headway, did some good things. Tennessee, solid class. Florida, solid class. And Billy and those guys going to need it. 
You know, they get uh, Jaden Rashad, a big-time quarterback in that could p- come in p- potentially play right away. Uh, I think you're a little bit concerned with the old Miss class. I think you're impressed with what Zach Garnett was able to hold on to in that Mississippi State class. So the SEC pretty much doing what the SEC does. There's nothing too crazy, too out of the ordinary. And with the portal still there, we don't even know what a lot of these classes are going to cur- turn into. Speaking of the portal, uh, some big news that's come out recently in the NCAA transfer portal. I'll run through a couple of these. South Carolina, we know they lost Austin Stogner tight end back to Oklahoma. Jaheim Bell goes to Florida State, which Florida State's doing some work in the portal. Then you're able to go and get Trey Knox, an overgrown receiver, hybrid tight end flex guy, but has played in line. I mean, he'll line up next to a tackle, put his hand in dead date, and then come off the ball and try to block a little bit. So Shane Beamer, they go get him. A guy who I think can fill in a lot of what Jaheim Bell did, not quite as athletic or dynamic, but you've got that flex tight end now that you can move around and do some different things with. So that was a good get. Um, LSU is, they've lost some younger guys in the portal, uh, but I think the big news is Keyshawn Booty and uh, Jaden Daniels now announcing that they're going to come back. That's massive. I mean, this offense could be overly dynamic next year. You got the offensive line and then some with Dellinger coming back. Mason Taylor coming back at tight end. Most of your running backs going to be back. Now you put Daniels back in and you're talented at wide receiver. I mean, you lost Jack Besh, but he wasn't really a big part of what you were doing. You lost Cole Taylor. He wasn't really a big part of what you were doing. So I think LSU is, is having some success in the portal and by getting some guys coming back, returning to school, that's going to be huge. Uh, for the LSU Tigers. Florida, who obviously has lost a lot of guys just to the draft and to the portal, didn't look good in the bowl game, but you go get Graham Merch out of Wisconsin. Um, you know, I wasn't really pumped up about this and didn't think it was going to be great. And then McElroy kind of countered with, we don't really know what he can do because of that system that he's been in. What has he really been allowed to attempt to be from a quarterback perspective? I thought it was a great point. And then sort of rethinking on that, maybe he's somebody who can come in compete with the freshman quarterback and compete with Jack Miller and either push or maybe even win the job. Who knows? I know Zach Mertz has got a logo when NIL was introduced. So congratulations for that. Uh, Kentucky, I mentioned Devin Leary, NC State quarterback. If he's healthy, he's great. Last year, not the best numbers, only six games, but you go to a full season the year before that and the numbers are outstanding. He can make every throw. He obviously can direct an offense, and I think he fits right into what they're going to want to do, bringing the offensive coordinator back from the Rams, and all of a sudden, here we go. It could be really not a ton of drop-off at the quarterback position as far as playing quarterback. Now, is he going to have the physical tools that Will Levis had? No, but I think you got a guy who can come in and help right away. you got a safety from Ohio State coming in, a couple offensive linemen coming in, And now you get Vanderbilt running back Ray Davis. I thought Ray Davis was the most or second most underrated player in the SEC last year. This kid runs hard. He'll fit right in there with Kentucky with what Mark Stoops and company want to do. You know Liam Cohen's going to get that stretch play going. I think Ray Davis is a phenomenal player. He's hard-nosed. He's physical. Decent breakaway speed. But Kentucky has shown you they don't have to have a home run hitting back to be successful with what they want to run. And I think Davis is a great plug and play guy immediately in that Kentucky offense. So you got two starters out of the portal like that. If you're Mark Stoops winning in the portal Uh, and he has had a hit rate, maybe higher than anybody else in college football from the portal. I mean, he hasn't had a ton of misses. Most guys that have come in have helped a lot or started and been big time players for Kentucky. I think that continues with those two players and we'll see how the rest of the guys play out. 
Um, big winner, though, so far in the portal to me is a team that doesn't have to do a ton of damage in the portal, but now they may have overachieved because they recruit like nobody else, not named Alabama, and Georgia just hasn't had to do a lot of heavy lifting in the portal. Now, they've only lost two guys, Eric Gilbert to the portal. Okay, it is what it is. Um, I've seen some people talking about him to Colorado, a couple other places. I just hope Eric Gilbert can figure things out for himself. Uh, I want his self-health to be 100%. And I hope he gets people who can continue to be behind him and help him with that. I know Kirby and Georgia did. And I hope wherever he ends up, they go out of their way to continue to help him with that. But they go get Dominic Lovett, a dynamic slot guy from Missouri who is mature beyond his years. I think will have a, an ability to play different places. I think you can motion him. You can line him up in the slot. You can hand him the football. You can do a lot of different things with him. And he's kind of the the kind of player that Georgia doesn't really have. They used Cook in that way last year. Bowers has sort of been that guy this year. Uh, I think Lovett can be that guy next year. And then you go get the big physical wide receiver in Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, a guy who was just awesome two years ago. And I think now with some injuries, Georgia hasn't been great at wide receiver the last two years. You bring in two guys that know how to play, know this league, know the speed, know the physicality, and most likely come in with a pretty mature situation as in this is a chance for me to prove myself and win some games and potentially raise my stock more so than I could most other places. So Georgia doing work in the portal. Um, those two names came down yesterday. Really impressive. I was blown away. I mean, Kirby is not effing around in the portal. These two guys will help them immediately go out and win football games. All right, so let's go preview some of the other games coming up next week. And then the 31st will be Saturday. So we'll get the Sugar Bowl, the Music City Bowl, and then we'll get the two playoff games. And we'll come back on that Sunday and we'll drop a pod for you then to review the other bowl games that are starting on the second and the rest of the SEC games there. We'll preview those and review what we saw from Kentucky, Alabama, Georgia, etc., and then we'll also talk a little bit of this Missouri game coming up today. We'll get all those out to you. So, all right, All-State Sugar Bowl, massive news for Alabama to have the big three playing in this game. We know Bryce Young, Will Anderson going to play. I, I didn't really doubt that. I mean, I understand what's at stake financially, fiscally. I get it. But if you've been around those two and you've had conversations with them, my TV crew has been lucky enough to have Bama twice each of the last two years. We sat down with Bryce multiple times. I talked to him coming off the practice field a few times, talked to Will a couple of times, had him on my radio show in Birmingham. They just don't come across as the kind of guys that would skip this for a lot of different reasons, maturity, leadership, and just demeanor, just what they are, who they are, what they stand for. And I understand a lot of money on the line, but they'll have the insurance policies and I think they'll have a little bit of understanding of altering the game plan somewhat, not necessarily pushing them to the limit from a rep perspective of being able to protect themselves, and it'll be all good. It changes this game completely, especially with Jameer Gibbs going as well, because Gibbs has been the guy that's had to help out of the backfield when the run game hadn't been there. He's elusive enough to be able to create some space and find some things, and they'll need him, and they'll need Bryce's mobility and understanding of how to manipulate the pocket because the offensive line is, is not going to be 100%. Um, watch the center position. Don't know exactly what's going to happen there. Uh, I think it's a little bit beat up. Damian George out, Javion Cohen out. Those are two guys that played a lot for Alabama this year. Now, that means you bring Booker in to start, who I think has been one of their best offensive linemen all season. He's their most physical offensive lineman. 
He's the most offensive lineman that probably has the most pissed off to him. Like the nature in which he plays, he's got more of that, more nasty than anybody else. So I think that's a real positive for what they're going to have. The reality is, though, you look at the receiver position with Aaron Anderson, Trayshawn Holden, Christian Leary, JoJo Earl, all gone. And I'm not saying one of those guys is going to come take over this game, so now it's a totally different game plan, but it's a lot of numbers that are gone. Same thing with the offensive line. Amari Kite, Brock and Meyer, at least Tommy, Damian George, Javion Cohen. That's, that's a lot of depth where if you have an injury or two and have to start moving guys around, things become very complicated. So keep an eye on those two positions for Alabama in this game, specifically the offensive line, because K-State's not going to be overly athletic and they're not going to be massive, not going to carry a lot of mass on the defensive line, but they're heavy-handed and they are physical and they will get after you. High motor, high energy strong, and will not back down from a fight. So I think running the football is going to be a little bit of an issue. Extend the run game through the air, quick plays to Jameer Gibbs out of the backfield, and two players who I think are pretty important for Alabama in this game, Robbie Utes and Cam Latu. Because I think you're going to need to add physicality at the line of scrimmage, and those two guys can do it. So I don't know what the status is right now physically of those two, but if they're both available and they're both ready to go, they will be big for Alabama in this game. Defensively, those same type players are going to be big for K State. Uh, ben Simmett and Sammy Wheeler, the tight end, H back, fullback, you know, off the ball move bonus big guy for K State is, is huge. They use them in a lot of different ways. They'll offset the tight end, they'll put them in line next to the tackle, they'll line them up as an H off the ball. They'll go two fullbacks at times, and they give you a lot of different formations. On the other side of the ball, Henry Toto is going to be massive for Alabama in this game, accepting the invite to the Senior Bowl. He's had a good season, but formationally, he will have to be sound with what Alabama sees in this game on defense because you'll get the overload stuff, you'll get the heavy stuff, they'll formation you into the boundary, and they'll be physical with it. So you you have to keep, I think, your normal lineup in, yet you have to line up correctly or they're going to be able to steal yards. And with what Will Howard has done, adding some things down the field in the passing game, All of a sudden, this K-State offense has been very different, and you give him a couple extra weeks to prepare and become maybe more ready to handle different things that he's going to see. It's a dangerous offense. We know what Deuce Vaughn can do, tailback for K-State, dynamic out in the open field. They'll use him not only in the run game, screen game, pass game, and he's a home run hitter, a guy that you have to get to the ground. So physically, Alabama is going to have to show up from a tackling perspective in this game. I still think defensively, Alabama can do enough to win this game. I think if it slows down from a K-State perspective, that's fine. I think Bill O'Brien will be okay calling it that way. But they've got to find a way to protect Bryce Young. Bryce has got to protect the football. And the defense just has to tackle well. I think those things do happen. I think with all the guys coming back, it's a new energy for this football team. They want to close it out in a strong way. Sugar Bowl is still a big deal, especially where I grew up in the state of Alabama. And all these players don't see it that way, but the coaches will and the people around it will. I think that motivates Alabama enough to be able to go to New Orleans and get this win. Uh, The Music City Bowl on uh, 11 a.m. on ABC. So same time. And I'm going to be real with you guys. I I don't know what the hell to expect from this game. Um, Because you've got Levis, Chris Rodriguez, Cavassier Smoke gone from the Kentucky football team. Um, Alex Padilla, Spencer Petras gone for Iowa. I texted a buddy of mine that played at Iowa today. I was like, what are they going to do at quarterback? I got the pod today. I got a record. He's like, I have no idea. No one seems to know. He's like, I'm just curious as to what they're going to do. And he can't figure it out. So 
I mean, you get Arlen Bruce is out. Uh, Gavin Williams is out. Tailback receiver. Uh, not their number one go-to receiver or running back, but guys who have helped and contributed a lot this year. So do not anticipate much offense in this game. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we had the game that Kaya Sharon started earlier this year for Kentucky, and it didn't really go great. Um, he didn't really look ready. Now, he'll have extra time to prepare for this one, but I, he needs more reps to be ready to understand the game speed that he's going to see. So whatever the under ends up being in this game, take it. That's all I'm going to say. Whatever the under ends up being, take it in this game because I just can't see a way that much offense is going to be generated. And I'm trying to take a look at what it is right now. Um, it looks like it's 31. That's super low. Like that's, uh, I think I saw in some of the bowl notes where that was going to be the lowest bowl line in 20 or 30 years, whatever it is. And it's probably going to go down again. Um, Iowa two and a half point favorite. I do like Kentucky to win the game because you know, you got Barry on Brown, you're more talented at receiver and at running back. I think you're able to utilize some high percentage stuff and generate explosive plays. Um, we know Iowa can take the ball away. They're probably not going to put it in the air much. But Kentucky's defense can be pretty stout against the run. I think Kentucky gets a big play or two here and there and finds a way to win this game like 14-10, maybe 7-3, maybe 3-0, maybe 5-3. Hell, I don't know. But take the under. Just live there, and you'll be fine. And that's an early game, too, so you'll be good. I think you'll be fine there. All right, so then that takes us to the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Ohio State and Georgia. Uh, We'll go Fiesta Bowl a little bit earlier. I'm pumped about the Fiesta Bowl, first and foremost. I'm going to be on Pat McAfee's Megacast with that. Uh, I'll be on the field with a couple of other guys, and it should be a a ton of fun. I mean, I'm used to being on the field anyway, but a college football playoff game, Michigan TCU, uh, McAfee running the show, it's going to be freaking amazing. Uh, I'm pumped about that, excited about that. Uh, So check that out if you get a chance to come over to Megacast, see what we're doing. We'll have fun. I think there, uh, wink, wink, maybe some uh, a lot of O-line prowess in that broadcast. So if you're into the trenches, that's where you're going to want to be. So we'll go there first. Uh, TCU, Michigan. I don't know if TCU can just physically hold up, plain and simple. That That's all I got for that game. Um, there are other ways around it. Like This is one of those games where TCU has like a path with maybe one small detour to win this game. Michigan has a couple of paths with multiple detours to go win this game. Uh, TCU offensively is going to have to use a little bit of that Bryles tree, spread those receivers out wide, force Michigan to play the width of the field, try to open up some quarterback runs and try to use the quick game to get some catch and run and generate some explosive plays that way. I don't think they're going to get a ton up over the top. I don't think they can protect long enough for a lot of the longer developing plays to go. And I don't think they'll just be able to run the football in a traditional manner consistently against this Michigan front. Um, But what I do think they can do is get some quick hitting throws and then get some quarterback runs, widen the surface, uh, empty the box with the receivers that are out on the perimeter, and then maybe Max can get a couple of runs going. Maybe that forces the defense to play a little bit differently and possibly roll a safety to the box. Then you find your one-on-one. You take your shots. They're going to take their shots at some point. Sonny Dykes is going to do that. That's the air raid inside of him. So. How do you force Michigan to defend you, though? That's the key. So if you see TCU get a couple quarterback runs early or maybe bust a couple misdirection runs early, that's really good news. Like if you're a Horned Frog fan, you need to see that right out of the gate because that's what's going to force Michigan to play you a little bit more different. On the flip side of the ball, 
how much do you have to commit to stopping the run? And I know Blake Corum's not going to go, but I mean, obviously Donovan Edwards has shown that he can get it done. You bring in Schoonmacher and those extra tight ends for Michigan. They'll bring in seven offensive linemen at times. Like, I just don't know physically if TCU can manage to hold up against that for the entire four quarters of this game. It is going to be interesting, though, in the second half because these are two of the best second-half football teams in all of college football this year. So if it's a 14-point game at the half or it doesn't look like it's going one team's way, but it's still kind of tight, maybe a two-score game at the half, stay tuned in because it's got a chance to get really good in the second half. I just think Michigan's too balanced. I think they're too good top to bottom in all three facets. And I think the physicality is going to be too much. You have a quarterback this year in J.J. McCarthy who was more capable than Cade McNamara was last year. Bottom line, he can make more throws. He's a bigger presence in the pocket, has a better understanding of the entire offense. He can just make more things happen. And I think the offensive line's playing actually a little bit better than they were last year. Obviously won the Joe Moore Award both years, but just the consistency of how they operate and how they execute – I think it's a small step above where they were a season ago. The bonus bigs are a little bit better. You got more more offensive linemen that roll in and help. They're just deeper all around. And I think that's going to be a little bit too much for TCU to be able to manage and deal with. So I like Michigan to move on. But I mean, Barnhart, Zinner, Oluwatimi, Keegan Hayes, that offensive line, I think they dominate. Uh, That one comes up earlier in the day on the 31st. And then we get the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, 7 p.m. Central, Ohio State and Georgia. No Smith and Jig, but no Travion Henderson for Ohio State. Does Ohio State have a path to be successful in this game? My answer to that would be yes. I think they do. Now, I'm not saying that I guarantee that that takes place, that that happens, but I I do think that it's there. I do think it's feasible. I do think it's possible. Uh, We'll start on offense. Uh, Georgia doesn't have a dominant edge presence offensively, so... I think that actually helps Ohio State a little bit. They're look how big at offensive tackle Ohio State is. That doesn't mean they're really good there. I think that offensive line's a bit overrated, but if they can make you run the hump in a little bit of a different way, that means get around the tackle to the quarterback, then I think that's an advantage for your club. Also, add Cade Stover, one of the more physical tight ends in all of college football. That sort of changes the dynamic of it as well. It's not as big to dent the pocket against this group as it is a lot of other quarterbacks in a lot of other passing games. C.J. Stroud doesn't rely as much on stepping up in the pocket over and over and over again to be able to find things. Now, they can work the middle of the field, but they're also really good on the perimeter and really good down the field outside the hash. So Jalen Carter and company, are they going to get theirs inside? Yes. If Ohio State is holding things down on the edge, that could be a massive reason that they find some success in the passing game. And me personally, I go into this game just airing it out. I know you can say you got to set up the RPO, set up play action. It's not going to go. So just don't worry about it. LSU made it go a little bit with some quarterback mobility, but that still consistently didn't go. And then once they just decided to, to air it out, they had some success. The score dictated why they had a little bit of that success, not all. We know how talented Ohio State is at receiver. We know how talented they are at quarterback. That can get going if they can protect. The other problem is, like I said, that offensive line, in my opinion, is a tad overrated. They get a little sloppy at times. If they are not switching off games, stunts, and pressures properly, they're going to be in trouble. Georgia is the best precision blitzing team in college football that I have studied. 
That means the way that they operate their pressures, how they hug the hip of the defensive linemen that are penetrating, how the penetrators take pride in dismantling an offensive lineman or a blocker that they're going up against so the next guy can have a free run. They do it as well or better than anybody I've seen. That means if you're Ohio State's offensive line, you better be on your P's and Q's. Cross your T's, dot your I's, work together, work together well, have continuity chemistry, be on the same level, be shoulder to shoulder, have an understanding of when things are coming, because if you don't, it's going to be too late, bottom line. Then Georgia's getting to the quarterback, then they're causing problems, then they're turning the ball over, then the game is over. Offensively for Georgia, I are there a couple of takeover guys for this Ohio State defense? Yeah, you know, Jack Sawyer, Zach Harrison, um, Tui Mulao, I think are, are guys that yeah, could they take over a game? Sure, of course. Um, I don't know consistently if that entire group is just going to be a problem. If they decide to stay unaggressive, I think that might be even more of a problem. They can't play straight up. you got to stay aggressive against this Georgia team, find ways to disrupt, find ways to be problematic. Here's the biggest problem for the Ohio State defense, in my opinion. Georgia offers you a textbook of things to defend. And there are just not a ton of offenses that do this in today's college football. You go back the last few games, Georgia's running inside zone, outside zone, split zone, duo, trap, counter, power. Then you get some of the some of the motion stuff going flat across the line of scrimmage with tight ends and receivers. Then you go into the screen game, wide receiver screen game, tight end screen game, traditional running back screen game. Then you get to the protections. They can slide. They can go 5-0 protection, play man protection. They have extra tight ends that can help stay in and max protect. On top of that, you have quarterback run plays that we haven't even gotten into. Design quarterback runs. You have a quarterback that's elusive enough and kind of slithery enough in the pocket to be able to leave play scramble drill, find things down the field, or go get yards on his own. It is just too much. So from that being said, that means you got to play sound. You got to be lined up correctly. You got to fit the run correctly, play your gaps correctly, understand how to trade off coverages. All of that happens. That usually doesn't allow you to be as aggressive on defense when there's so many different things to defend. On top of all of that, Georgia can physically counter with guys that other people can't match up against. Now, this won't be as much of a problem for Ohio State, but when you think about guys like Amarius Mims, guys like Broderick Jones, guys like Darnell Washington, guys like Kenny McIntosh, like Georgia is just physically different than the majority of the teams that they'll play against. That's a massive advantage for the Bulldogs. So I'm interested to see how Jim Knowles plays it because I think you have to try to be aggressive to make plays. But on the same time, there's so many different things to defend. The more aggressive you get, the more high percentage I think Georgia's offense goes. And that just gives them more space or more one-on-ones to be able to create something with playmakers that they have. And that gets you in trouble. So I think Georgia moves on. More complete football team. uh, More battle-tested more recently. And that's going to give them an edge. They're playing a game in Atlanta. Uh, they've been pretty good in that stadium uh, over the last couple of years as well. So I think Georgia gets that one. They go on to play Michigan. We'll have plenty of time to preview that one if that's the way it plays out. And like I said, we'll come back next Sunday and we'll go back through Sugar Bowl, Music City Bowl, and then the playoff games. And on top of that, we'll preview the games that are coming up. So right after that, as far as SEC games are concerned, you're going to have Mississippi State, Illinois. And the Rely Quest Bowl, uh, that one means a lot, obviously, losing Coach Leach. Um, you have LSU and Purdue in the Cheez-It Bowl. 
with what Purdue has gone at receiver and quarterback. Feel pretty good about LSU in that one, but we'll get into it a little bit more. So we'll still have more games come in the preview, and then we'll go playoff. So we're going to carry this thing out. Portal, coaching news, all still going to take place. A lot to get to you with each and every week. That's why we're going to come to you every Sunday with college football content right here on Cube Show. Um, we know the waiver was thrown in, the one-time waiver for postseason games this year. I think that's going to stay. Um, it was a little unfortunate how the guys in the Bahamas Bowl got that the night before and then had to try to figure out a way to manage that. But either way, I think it's good for the younger guys to be able to practice and then play in this game. They've had a whole full season of scout team or practice, whatever it is. They're physically ready by now. And then you give them a couple extra weeks during bowl prep to be able to get ready to go at least some of them, not all of them, because the guys who got that waiver the night before, uh, like Coach Gloomgren was telling us at Rice, like they got it, I think it's 6 p.m. that night, and then they played the next day. So it didn't change a whole lot, but they did have a receiver and a running back that played more than they thought they would because it's not going to cost me your eligibility. So there's just a ton going on. There's going to be a ton going on every week. That's why we'll be with you every Sunday. Thanks to our friends at Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. This is Cube Show, a college football podcast that's going to give you content on Sundays. And we're going to roll through bowl season and we're going to continue to roll through the entire off season talking college football. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. We will be back January the 1st to give you more college football that you need each and every week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.